Hello, everybody. Welcome to another PropTech Ramble. Uh, I'm here with a post-lockdown uh, haircut that barbers are open, so I've had my low-maintenance haircut already. Uh, today, we are lucky enough to have Matthew Marson. He is the Sector Director at Arcadis for Manufacturing and Technology. And our topic today is uh, what are the steps required slash needed to deliver a smart building? So without further ado, uh, I'd like to welcome Matthew. Uh, Hello, mate. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. That's all right, buddy. That's all right. Thank you very much for joining. Uh, before we start, would you just be able to give us a little bit of uh, everyone who's listening an overview of who you are, what you do, and what your role is in Arcadis? Oh, yeah. So I kind of love everything uh, smart buildings. Um, you know, I, there's definitely something in there when you start to put technology uh, into the built environment. And if you think of the hundreds of years we've built in a certain way, it's only recently we've started to add systems, be that for comfort, probably in the early sort of, you know, 1930s or whatever to today with using sensors and ubiquitous kind of computing. Um, yeah. It's really quite exciting what we're going to be doing with uh, all the spaces uh, that we're in for the future. So uh, yeah, today I um, work at Arcadis, which is a kind of multidisciplinary um, des design and kind of built asset consultancy. And uh, my role is to help service our clients that do all sorts of things around manufacturing and technology uh, and sort of, you know, kickstart our intelligent buildings practice. Cool. And, and originally you were an architect. So kind of staying in the in the building space but you you were an architect and then you decided it wasn't for you so yeah kind of sort of i um i always grew up wanting to be an architect so um studied um civil and structural engineering and architecture at sheffield loved it but in my summers when i was working at some architecture practices absolutely hated it um <laughs> yeah it just wasn't my thing so um I kind of went via some consulting into technology, thought, okay, may, maybe I do quite like all this building stuff, and then you know, worked out a way to how we could get, how I could work on both technology and buildings at the same time. So not not so much the straight architecture side, but the the technology to help make buildings better side. So it's still with, within the built environment, although you're not doing the design side of things from an architectural point of view, but you inside the space so exactly but i've got enough felt tips just in case <laughs> so we, we 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 didn't get any questions today in and, and we did that on purpose just because we wanted to have a a free-flowing conversation and a back and forth and and given who you are and what you do and who you do it for some some very large companies uh, i just made some of my own notes here it, it's i think we, we are going to talk about the steps required, right? It's and, and the thing is, it's, as I've said before, and, and for fear of repeating myself, they almost might become my catchphrases. It's how do you eat, how do you eat an elephant? It's in very small pieces, one, you know, one bite at a time. A lot of people are also, I think, a little bit oversold when it comes to a smart building, you know, and what can go into it. It's from, you know, walking up in it, knowing your car and knowing who you are and opening the door and booking your meeting room before you even get there. A lot of that sounds cool stuff doesn't necessarily add any value but there are there are some challenges to overcome there are some problems that people run into so it, it'd be good from 
my understanding and, and the people listening now and, and, and post this live podcast to get your view because you you very much break it down into steps and, and, and areas and, and doing it in bite-sized chunks. So it'd be great to hear from you, how you do it, what your thoughts are, what problems you see in the market and, and you know, kind of some guidance and help for people that are, that are looking in, right? Whether they're working with you or us or they're not working with either of us and they've never spoken to us, even if we can pass on some help and some knowledge to people, I think that's quite a good thing for us to kind of try and get out of this next 30 minutes or so. Lovely. All right, then. I'll kick off. And um, please do interrupt me if you think I'm monologuing with <laughs> what I think are the sort of four salient issues that we've got going on. So yeah. firstly, um, when we're working in the built environment, the physical assets and the processes that we use to get there aren't anywhere near as sophisticated or they're just kind of like worlds apart from what we're doing on the digital side of things. So you need somebody firstly there that's able to kind of translate what all that sort of did you speak means uh, to those that are really comfortable with the built environment. So as you say with the overselling, oh, you need my big data blockchain VR analytics in the cloud. And they've really just strung together a bunch of uh, buzzwords to try and make it sound cool when in reality they've probably taken the same old solution that they've been flogging for years, rolled the turd in glitter um, and given it a fancy new user interface and told you it's brilliant. So, yeah. th And so that, I suppose, then leads me into the second issue, which is around the sort of general lack of, I'd say, digital education um, that's out there. You know, if you're responsible for making decisions in the built environment or your portfolio, you've prob probably never had to study or even look at how do I deliver a mobile app? What does... IoT mean? How do I build a platform? How do I get a developer to deliver me the sorts of things that are there? So one of the things that I've sort of worked on to help with that is something called Digital Buildings Bootcamp, which is a, a 15 module kind of training course that breaks it down and specifically aimed for people in the built environment. I suppose then the kind of third issue that I'm sort of looking at is that who do you trust in that? You need to build the, a proper kind of network of people that you get on with, that understand your challenges so that they can, you can trust the advice that they give you when it comes to procuring something from it. And then probably uh, the, the final issue that I see is around how you align the base build and some of the digital tools, because not getting those sorts of folks to speak to each other basically just means that you're going to rework it more, you're going to have loads more errors, and you're essentially going to increase your time to completion. So again, it's a combination of knowing your stuff, working with the right people, and then getting everybody to sort of work together. So I'd say there, there are four main issues. Um, and in order to make sure that you don't get caught out by them, I've my sort of golden uh, questions, if you like, I've got eight of them that I think anybody should be able to answer in order to have a successful project. So I'll start with the first one, um, yeah. which is what is the functionality that you want to offer in your smart building? Really simple one, but there yeah. are so many people that can't answer it. No, no, no. And, and, and you know, there are RFPs that, you know, we see coming to us and that are out in the market that are literally have a list as long as my arm, no priorities against them. Because, uh, uh, one of the important things, and I, I say this to people, this it's a journey, right? You can't just, as I said, you can't boil the ocean if you can, but it takes a very, very long time. And it's very hard to do. It's a journey and, and you do have to start somewhere, right? You have to prioritize that list, you know, and the functionality it's, it's it's almost a it's almost a working group that people need before they even go out and do this right. Whether it's Arcadas, it's helping them, or or a another, but it's 
Mr. Customer or Mrs. Customer, what are you trying to achieve? And, and I think that I think over, I think the overselling piece is is what puts people off. But that the, that 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 first part is is breaking it down. What what is your priority order? What do you actually need? Day one, day two, day three, day four. So yeah, exactly. So what I get them to do is basically create a use case playbook. So um, for the the non digitally uh, inducted of us, a use case is the sort of techno speak for a multi system piece of functionality. So example could be um, one of your users books a meeting room, but they don't show up after ten minutes. So to save energy, you want to switch off the lights and set back the HVAC and then re-release that room onto the room booking system. Now to pull that off, you've used three systems there and a fourth one um, to basically tie it all together and have that logic in it. So we call that a use case just as like a bit of shorthand. And what you need to do in your team is basically do that long list of what they all are so that you can describe it in three simple kind of points um, and then basically rank them one to N uh, as to what you're going to deliver in what order because at a certain point your money will run out and you can only get up to say number yeah. five because of it yeah yeah, yeah so then my next question uh for them number two would be uh what technology do i need to invest in and the way that you answer that i think is by starting with a bit of a system health check get your bronze silver gold on the uh, capabilities that existing stuff has and how far you have to take it to get the answers out of what you want and then from there, you'll be able to draw up an investment, uh, a technology investment list, essentially uh, the shopping list that you need to go make your use case playbook happen. My third one then would be around the business case to do it. Often uh, the thing that stops all these hopes and dreams from happening is uh, the cold, hard reality of cash. And uh, one of the things that I've sort of been um, kind of working on it in collaboration is a, a sort of tool that helps us look at the optioneering for that. So looking at uh, a variety of base build technologies and some digital ones, what's the CapEx, OpEx and associated benefit for doing it? Because that way you get a really clear payback that shows you what that means in months and gives you the you know vindication, if you like, to move on that you're doing the right thing. My next one then, number four, would probably be uh, what should I buy and who do I buy it from? And that is where it's probably worth having a, a bit of a beauty, a, I can't speak, a beauty parade as such to see what capabilities people do have so that you can find um, those that you trust and want to work with. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. T testing the water, right? It's, it's hugely important. You don't want to go all in and then realize actually it wasn't the right thing to do. So everyone should test the water, you know, a little first before a lot some people i think the fortunate thing is in this space fortunate for some not fortunate for others is people are looking to see what other people have done and who they've gone with at the moment to try and figure out who the names are in the industry uh of of who they can who's rolled out at what size and what they've done and have they do they only ever do one thing because companies like metricus are coming out of the you know ground every day right it's such a big space there's such a big opportunity uh the great thing for everyone in this space i think for, for us and all of our competitors there's enough money in the market to do what you need to do that everyone has an opportunity to make that money uh and, and also roi in this space is much easier to drive than in 
some other areas, right? So some ROIs are three, five, 10 years, like solar panels and all that sort of stuff. When I used to put them on the house, when will I get my ROI from buying those big, thick two, three inch ones when you die? Uh, now it's a lot quicker that the ROI, we, we, we've, we've built three ROI documents for three areas of the business. One of the things that people should present to customers, I think, is is an ROI because, like you say, business cases are killer. Go to go to the CFO, and and she is going to say, "Show me some numbers before I give you X amount of cash." Uh, and if you can't do that, then you know you're kind of dead in the water, really. So, yeah, I agree. Exactly. I think the next one then that I would probably um, sort of talk about that, or the question that you've got to answer is who will ensure that you're getting what you need from your vendors or partners? And that's where I'm seeing sort of two roles crop up in industry. The first one being the master systems integrator, which is the person that helps tie together all of those systems. Uh, and they're, I'd say probably like a techie that's got uh, quite familiar with uh, the controls world and can help bridge that divide between physical and digital systems or yes. the um, other one which is probably a bit more uh, loosey-goosey and more on the management side is like the critical friend which is the person that uh, helps to facilitate the conversations but doesn't have any skin in the game when it comes to tying the systems together actually technically yeah and I, I think that part of that is if someone like yourself or Arcadis is helping set the goals and objectives for the project and then just not moving on until you tick them off right because it it, it sounds very simple i'm a simple person so it probably it always does sound simple when it comes from me but that that is scope creep or mr customer we could do this or we could do that it, it's yeah keeping keeping someone in line not not behavior wise but objectives wise is is hugely important mm. and it's important for the customer. It's important for the master systems integrator, and it's important for the partner, because if it if you don't hit the goals and objectives, you don't tick the boxes. The project kind of just fades out, doesn't go anywhere. You don't. No one gets any benefit from it. And no one can talk about it, shout about it. The person who wanted to roll it out for the customer doesn't get a pat on the back and a, a pay rise or a bonus for <clears throat> you know reducing energy costs or saying, by the way, Miss CFO you gave me a hundred grand i've proven to you that we don't need this much space we can give ten thousand square feet back which is going to save us a million quid a year so that, that uh, all of these are important steps staying on track is probably in my mind one of the most important ones yeah or when you actually like sign off that the capabilities there uh, i there have been instances where i sort of turned up to site and i'm like okay show me it works and the kind of outrage or, you know, the finger pointing between the yeah. different vendors of various systems. Oh, it's there, but they're not here. It's like, okay, well, we'll put a date when we're all here and we'll walk around and we'll find out exactly where the blockage is. Almost, you know, like it's water pipes or something. I yeah. expect to treat your data in the exact same way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, and then uh, I think we're at a point there where we're, if we're happy that we're kind of signing it off, my next question would be, are you comfortable that the people that are running this um, kind of know what they're doing. And again, I think that comes back to the point I was sort of talking about earlier uh, around training, kind of like no, knowing your beans or your onions or whatever the phrase is yeah. in this is just so, so important because people will pull the wool over your eyes. That's, you know, the part of kind of an innovative sort of thing, isn't it really? That that's the sort of poor behaviors that happen. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I have nothing to add to that. Okay, apart, fine. <laughs> I, I agree completely. Uh, I know I could talk the ears of a donkey, but if, I, if there's no value to add, I'm not going to try and try and add some stuff that's not there. I, I agree completely. 
Fair enough. And then my last one would be, how will you act upon the data once all of those systems are in place? And often what I find is the project um, team sort of assume it's all done and dusted because practical completions happened of the space and the sort of Starship Enterprise lands and nobody in the operations team knows how to fly it. And I think that's a big problem. And there's a huge um, sort of gap in the market for folks to support organizations with that. So, um, so one of the things that I've certainly been working on is to set up um, what I'm calling the Intelligence Bureau, where the idea is that using some of our sort of experts in the built environment, be that workplace, health and well-being, kind of net zero carbon, they take a look at the data that's being produced by those systems and help you to act on it. You know, what does that actually mean in terms of a next steps um, kind of project or tweaks that you should make to a certain system? And not having access to that data in the first place, I think, is where most organizations have found themselves. So when, when it comes and they've got like a whole sort of you know untapped potential there, that's why that capability doesn't exist. So it, to help them kind of, you know, leapfrog into a place where they could probably build an in-house capability for that, they kind of need to go learn the ropes and see what it's all about by using a sort of outsourced model. Yeah. If you don't do that as the customer, you're not going to get any more money to expand the project. As the provider, whether you're the MSI or the partner, if you don't do that, you're not going to get any more business from that customer because they're not seeing any value. However, we, we, we've seen this and, and it's one of the reasons we're speaking, right, is customers need help to drive the value from this because customers are busy, their teams are busy, whether it's the head of workplace, whether it's the head of operations facilities, you know, uh, the head of sustainability, uh, they've, they've all got data coming at them in, in from lots of different places within the business already, helping them understand what this data means and what savings they can make if, if everyone in that kind of ecosystem, let's call it, I don't like that word, but it's the only one I can think of at the moment in my tiny Australian brain. If, if you don't all help, then no one's going to get any value from it and no one's going to do any more after the initial, after the initial piece. Like you say, you can produce a great report. Here you go, Mr. Customer. We did everything we said on the tin. Over to you. And then it's over to them and they kind of fades away because another priority comes up. Uh, another you know objective from from the business is going to do this over here whereas actually if if you are adding some value then working with someone like arcadis doing a monthly report giving them data giving them mi showing them where they were where they are you know and actually saying this is where you were this is where you are this is where you could be the next question from them is, well, how do we get to there? And that's where Matthew Marson and team come in and say, this is how you get to there, Mr. Customer, with this partner and doing the, you know, taking these steps. Without that, you're a bit screwed, right? You're, you're, it all fades into the ether. You all go off and have a beer and say that was a great project, but you know, you can only buy one beer because you're not getting any more work out of it. So, yeah, I think so. Unless you've already got it in house and that's and something you're like super comfortable with. Um, yeah. Often, you know, nine out of ten cases have seen that's that's not the case. Yes, and and it's it's almost sometimes we've seen with some of the smaller businesses they they will have someone who will take this on as a project and and they will try and run with it as much as they can. It's the bigger organisations that need the help because they have so many you know spinning plates and all that sort of stuff. The the value the value from it. and and the, the thing is, 
you know, we're in a post-COVID world and all that stuff and everyone's getting their jabs, although the 40s to 50s can now have theirs. I haven't had a text message yet, so I'm going to have to ring my doctor because uh, I need to travel. Uh, but the get, getting getting that data, working together, doing what you need to, unless you do that, and I've kind of lost my train of thought, which sucks. So, but we... we uh, <laughs> The big, the big organisations. That's where I was going. The big organisations. They, they need, they, they need more help. Not because they're useless, but because they've got so many other things that they need to do. You need to put the priority in front of them so they can see it and read it and distill it down, so that they, you know, they, they do more. Because if and a lot of stakeholders as well, like they've actually probably got to report in in very many more cases. So there'll be their net zero targets. There'll be their workplace of the future work stream. Um, there'll be something on health and well-being. Um, there'll be something about kind of future sizing and capacity. And because you've got a whole bunch of teams looking at that, the data set that you're sort of relying on has got to work really hard. Yes. Yeah. I, I was going, I, I remember now, my tiny Australian brain caught me back up. The, the, the COVID, the post-COVID world, yeah. it's, it's hugely important. The, the reduction in office space, the as I've said before, everyone's been indoor air quality expert. Now you have to bring that. You have to bring that data to the fore, right? And yeah, and, yeah. and and like, but you you know, indoor air quality, you could you you could be doing for one part of the business, and the capacity monitoring for another part of the business, and the building management system optimization you're doing for another part of the business. Somewhere at the top, someone wants all of that data together to tell them what it means for them and tell them how much it's saving because. Businesses are still the bit, and again, I'm not slagging off big organizations here because we work with a lot of them and there's great people in there. Because they're so big, because they have so many departments, that data still can be siloed. And bringing it all together to drive the value is is what you guys can do, right? And that's that's a hugely important part. Again, for it to not fade away, for it to make sure it delivers value, that's that's an important piece. I guess what what rather than me just ramble on. What what do you see with your customer? How uh, talk about some successful things that you guys have done, I guess, and, and how what you've seen works. I know your eight questions are how you make it work, but kind of an example of of what what you've done in the past. Yeah, what well, I have to say with the kind of COVID stuff, uh, I've now run out of. I told you so um, from <laughs> from before, um, and I'm I don't know how any organisation is going to feel comfortable opening without having a smart building because the data is going to be so important to start. You know, firstly around compliance to prove kind of where people have been or that you've done the right actions at the right time. I think there's a piece on cost saving so that you've got the agility to ramp uh, the place up and down. And then I also think there's a bit of kind of like attraction to it. The fact that you've got these sorts of technologies now will make people feel more comfortable. It's probably quite cool in some cases. So it wants to bring uh, people back to the office. Um, Without it, I, I don't know how an organisation is going to do it. So I'm really excited for when we move into our new office on 80 Fenchurch Street because that, you know, will be sort of immediately available for us to start um, start using. So in terms of examples, um, I think one that uh, I think is brilliant is the stuff that um, I, I got to work on at the Salesforce Tower in San Francisco where we used um, a sort of smart lighting system. Uh, to basically help them with a couple of challenges that they were having. So as part of it, each luminaire sort of had a, a multi-sensor built into it, and that looks at uh, all sorts of different things. The first, I suppose, set is UVA, UVB, and ambient light. And the idea is then that each light um, is controlled, so it will only top up synthetic light in addition to what the sun isn't providing. They call it daylight harvesting, 
And yeah. that was a really important first step because it saved them 80% across the, the baseline that they had on a normal lighting system. And that saving basically helped to pay for the uplift in the control system for them to use it for what they actually wanted, which was um, the occupancy data. So they could see how the teams were moving, kind of heat map the different zones or the areas that they had. Because as you can imagine, as a high growth technology business, they would have team leaders say, I need this many desks and I need them as soon as possible. And then real estate are actually armed with the data to say, yeah, but you know, you're not using the ones you've already got. So when you breach that capacity, I'll sort you out. Until then at San Francisco real estate prices, you're all right, thank you. Yeah. So that was a, a really fun, and it, I think it has quite a lot of uh, applicability to knowing like how to respond to your um, spaces uh, in the medium term. I think there's been a lot of gut reactions out there that oh, I need to cut my space because people are going to work from home, and I'm not sure that is the case. I think people are probably going to rush back to the office because it'd be a novelty, and then we'll be dealing with some sort of kind of hybrid, you know, I'm going to do this many days here, that many days there, and people are going to have to work it out. But if you're in a corporate real estate organization, having to know when that is and that sort of dynamic uh, use of space, you're going to have to have a bunch of really smart systems uh, to help you deal with that so you don't have a load of upset people when you just cut all of the space back. Yeah, and cutting it straight away without measuring it is, um, yeah. yeah, you can't you can't do that, especially if you're Goldman Sachs. It's an abomination, according to, uh, to Mr. Goldman Sachs. We have had a question come in, actually. It says, what smart technology can be used to deliver improved profitability in a work environment through better productivity or effectiveness? That's All right. Me. That's for you, not me. <laughs> okay. So I think um, productivity is really difficult to measure because it's different in uh, the co different context depending on the business or even different departments. So let's say at Microsoft, the developers, um, you know, for productivity then might be the number of releases they can do uh, in a month. In the legal department, it could be the words read a minute. Uh, in HR, the number of people fired an hour, I don't know. Uh, and because of that, there's no sort of like consistent benchmark for it. But what I think you can look at instead is productivity leakage, which is all the stuff that gets uh, in the way of you doing something useful with your time. Obviously, uh, just because we've given you more time back doesn't mean you're not going to talk about Love Island or whatever it is. But things like the Wi-Fi dropping, you're having to wait too long for the lift because it's not been properly optimized by demand, uh, the loo's being cleaned at the wrong time. There's all sorts of bits of intelligence that you can censor uh, a place so that you can basically prevent all of those bits of productivity leakage from getting in the way. In fact, Sodexo, uh, the facility manager based in the Nordics, reckons that most white collar workers have about two hours of productivity leakage a day, which I think is absolutely nuts. And so, uh, yeah, the investment case. Have, is have, they, have, have they called out where that is, that, that two hours? Do they, do they know, have they kind of gone into granular detail where it's broken down to that, that two hour loss? Is it a go into that sort of data because I think it might reveal who their customers are. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it, it is an interesting one. Productivity in indoor air quality is something that can increase productivity, right, or decrease mm -hmm. productivity. That that's kind of the one of the the knowns that is becoming more known. With a there's a statistic that I always forget, and Francesca Brady will kill me. But the, the certain temperature too hot drops productivity by X. Cold, cold is actually a little bit better than too hot for people. And then obviously the CO2. But again, like you say, it's it's all subjective depending on where you work, right? Because if if you're, you know, if you're a doctor and you work in an emergency room, it wouldn't matter how much CO2 is in there because your adrenaline's kicking in because you're trying to save someone's life. So yeah. a little bit different to, you know, 
someone sitting at a desk doing HR, as you said, trying to figure out how many people they need to fire an hour. But it's you know adrenaline's not really really kicking in, so it's productivity is is a hard one to measure. But it is it is something more and more people are wanting to do and and, and to understand. And the difficulty with air quality, and where I'd recommend you know folks get a, a sort of platform like your own, is to work out what the balance is between energy and health and well-being. Um, because if you are you know, go on the sort of more healthy end of the spectrum um, by pumping in loads of fresh air, um, then you'll find that your net zero target is even more difficult to meet. And there's probably a balance there um, so that you don't go too far either way, depending on what you're looking at. And we all need to move to the Netherlands because in the Netherlands for a long time, coming from the data center world, they used to pull in the air. So instead of cooling air in the data center, the Netherlands kind of the, the, the air outside was always so cool. You suck the cool air in and you just filter it, right? So you don't have to generate cool air. There's so much cool air outside. So we should all move to the Netherlands and then we can all have a schmuck in a pancake as well. Uh, so someone has put a productivity stat. Studies show studies have shown that elevated levels of CO2 can cause an 11% reduction in productivity and 23% impairment in decision-making by monitoring CO2 and making any necessary adjustments to keep it at an optimum level. Companies can create a far more productive workplace. This will deliver improved revenue metrics as well as employees being able to perform at their very best and uh, ability and drive the success of the company. So CO2 is a big one, actually. Uh, the stat I always do remember because it relates to beer is that 1,100 part, 1,000 parts per million of CO2 is the equivalent of having two pints of beer. So CO2 wow. is a big one. So when when you are the easiest one is meeting rooms, right? Everyone feels lethargic and tired after an hour of you know, especially if they're with me and I'm just rambling on for an hour and a half. You you will, you will feel lethargic and tired. So the fresh air piece is an important one. But as you say, some of the customers we're talking to, facilities and operations are saying it's all great fresh air piece but it does drive energy usage up so that there is there is a balance right that does that mean you put different types of energy supply is it going out and buying batteries is it panels on the roof you know you know all that sort of stuff so uh yeah we work we, we're kind of working with a with a company that's got a great idea to make the facade a photovoltaic panel right and it can be any color any shape any size that if you do need to drive more fresh air in, you, you've got to try and figure out, hey, don't just take electricity straight from the grid, but can you take it from stored batteries or photovoltaic panels and all that sort of stuff? Because otherwise you're driving energy up, not down, which is, as you say, net zero carbon reductions, ESG, all that kind of good buzzwords that are out there. If only there was some sort of way you could get the data to know where to focus. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine a platform that's a single pane of glass to give you all of that. Uh, I uh, I don't I don't think we've got any other questions. I'm just scrolling through them now, so we, we haven't had a lot, uh, 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 and we didn't have any before because we wanted to have a free flowing conversation. So uh, I I had some stuff written down. I think we've pretty much covered all of it off, Matthew. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add uh, before we kind of wrap up? No, nothing, nothing from me. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, pleasure, mate. It's uh, it's been great having you. Thanks for the conversation. Uh, everybody that's uh, listening now and listening later, uh, we have another guest coming in the next one. We will reveal who that is very soon. Uh, we have two guests. We're uh, just deciding who can make it, who can't. One may need to travel, which could be an exciting time to try and actually get out of the UK. Uh, 
Uh, and someone who I was supposed to meet today has traveled to Germany and it's taken them quite a few hours to get literally get on the plane to get out of the UK. So, uh, Matthew, thank you again, mate. Lovely to see you. I will see you in the very, very near future. Uh, thank you, okay. everybody, for listening to the PropTech Ramble and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, everybody.